I never thought that I would have a baseball-themed message, although I did resist any urge that I would have had to have donned the baseball uniform this morning. How many of you have ever heard the term step up? Step up, yeah. Step up to the plate, that's a real common statement. It's really a reference to baseball. When it's time for the baseball player to take his place at home plate, he would then take the appropriate stance and he would get his bat ready. And it was a signal to the pitcher that he was ready for what was next. It's likely that most of you have heard of Babe Ruth. Not the candy bar, but the baseball player. <laughs> the famous baseball player from the last century who by the end of his career in 1935 had hit 714 home runs. This record would remain unbroken for 39 years. In his efforts to hit the ball, he also had a, a record of 1,330 career strikeouts, which would be a record for the next 29 years. If he had been so concerned about striking out, he never would have hit a home run. The reason is simple. Unless the player steps up to the plate, his bat will never connect with the ball. Nothing happens unless that player is willing to step up. When Babe Ruth stepped up to the plate, he was elevated to the status of recognition and further opportunity to continue to excel in his field in the world of baseball. But in the spiritual context, as men and women of God, I believe we must also step up to the plate. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Step up to the plate. No, not in the game of baseball, but in our walk with the Lord. Amen. Step up and be elevated. The word, the, the phrase step up, what, what it really means is this. It means to take action where there is need, is a need or opportunity for it. To take action where, when there is a need or opportunity for it. It also means uh, to give extra effort or take an additional response take on additional responsibilities, especially when doing so is critical. That's really what step up means. I believe that if we are a follower of Jesus Christ, we cannot help but see the critical need in the world for a savior. In the book of Jude, verse number 3, and how many know how many chapters are in the book of Jude? If you don't, you need to read your Bible a little more often. There's one, one chapter in the book of Jude. Jude, verse 3, says this, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to, I want you to get this phrase, contend for the faith. Contend for the faith that was once entrusted to all to God's holy people. Contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. When we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ for our salvation, how many know we had to step up, we had to take action 
in order to receive from the Lord. We had to... Con and, and that was the first measure of stepping up. And as we continue in our faith, we must continue to step up and contend for our faith. The word contend means to strive or to use earnest efforts to obtain or to defend and preserve. So to strive, which means a little more than try, to use earnest efforts to obtain or to defend and preserve. We need to do this with regard to our faith in Jesus Christ. The enemy of your soul will try to do everything he can to destroy your faith. The, Jesus said that he's a thief. He comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And, and we have to recognize that. But we have to, con we have to contend, child of God, for our faith. Continue to strive means more than just try. How many have ever heard somebody say, well, I'll try to do it. That means they're not going to do it. <laughs> well, I'll try. No, you need to make up your mind that you're going to do it. Well, we've got this thing that I want to invite you to and I need to know that you're going to come. Well, I'll try. As a youth pastor, when we would try to get young people to come and work in the concession stand at ORU, which was our means of of fundraising. We would show up for a few hours and we would volunteer our time in the concession stand and, and the, the folks that ran the food service would pay the church money for our time invested into there. And if it was a really busy event, we got more money. And that was what we used to fund our youth. And then when the Royal Rangers went and worked, then the Royal Rangers got the funds for that. And so we would go. And I remember I needed to know, are you coming on this particular time? Because I need to have Eight people, minimum, to operate this concession stand. And I remember one young lady, I'll never forget this. She said, well, it depends on what I'm doing that day. <laughs> and I said, well, if you tell me you're going to work at the concession stand, then that's what you're going to be doing on that day. But she didn't want to commit to that because that meant that I'll weigh my options out and when that day comes around, if I, I don't have anything else better than I need to do, then I'll do that. That's really what she was saying. And uh, I love teenagers. They're just so precious. And anyway, um, it, it's a powerful thing for us to say, I do more, I'll do more than just try. I will strive. I will contend for my faith. But be willing to go to battle for your faith. Don't just give up or even consider throwing in the towel. As I preached last week, it is a precious faith. Your faith in Jesus is, is, is precious. Hold on to it with everything you have. 1 Timothy 1.18 says, Timothy, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Timothy, my son, I, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. So that by recalling them, you may fight the battle well. How many want to fight the battle well? Verse 19 says, holding on to the faith. How many know that it is a battle to hold on to your faith? Because the devil's trying to do everything he can to try your faith and take you another direction. You must hold on to your faith and a, and a, and a good conscience which some have rejected and so suffered shipwreck with regard to their faith. In other words, you've got to hold on to a good conscience, a good wherewithal, a good uh, presence of mind to understand that you're in a battle and you've got to hold on to your faith and you've got to consciously do it. 
actively do it. You don't just think, well, yeah, I'm, I'm contending for my faith or I'm holding on to my faith. And then when the first temptation comes, you go off in this direction that you had not to go in. That's not consciously holding on to your faith or contending for your faith. Because he goes on to say here, he says, there's some that have already done that and have suffered shipwreck because of their faith. Regard, regarding their faith. Not because of their faith, but regarding their faith. In other words, they've been derailed because they didn't hold on to their faith. And folks, we've got to do that. 1 Timothy 6.2 says, fight the good fight of faith. Using the word fight, it is a fight. Some people are just lackadaisical. They're just, I don't want to do anything to rock the bowl. Whatever happens, they're just happy, carefree, go lucky, whatever, you know, they just kind of ease through life. And it's not bad to have that kind of an attitude with some things. Some of us could probably learn lessons from people who are that way, not to be so stressed and keyed up all the time. But on things that really matter, we must not be that way. On things that matter, such as our faith in Jesus Christ, we can't just lay down and simply say, oh, well, whatever happens, happens. No, not whatever happens, happens. Whatever happens, especially when it comes from the pit of hell, I'm going to stand up with everything I've got. I'm going to rise up and fight. Now, some of you can, can realize this. It's like, well, you can, I've heard people say this. You can say a lot about me, but when you start saying stuff about my kids, then I'm going to stand up. Folks, we need to get that same kind of spiritual determination and say, whatever comes against my faith, devil, I, I'm not going to let you get by with it. You are not going to get by with it. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life. How, how many know we must hold on to eternal life? Why is it important to hold on to eternal life? Because it can slip through your fingers. Because people have turned their backs on God. We never want to get in that category. Take hold on eternal life to which many of you were called when you, were made, when you made your good confession in the, in the presence of many witnesses. So we step up to take action to obtain salvation. We step up and we contend for our faith. How do we do this? I'm glad you asked. Look down at Jude chapter 1, verse number 20. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith, and, everybody say and, and, and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. So we step up to build ourselves in a, up in our most holy faith. The scripture does not say pray in the Holy Spirit so that you will build yourself up in, in your most holy faith. A lot of people have thought that. It does not say that. It does not say pray in the Holy Ghost and you'll build up your faith. It doesn't say that. It says, build up yourselves in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. You never get to pray in the Holy Spirit if you don't build up your faith. We step up and we build ourselves up in our most holy faith. We, how do we do that? We become a student of the Word of God. We study it and we know what it says and in doing so we will, come, we will become familiar with its truth and its teachings. If you cannot think of a single verse out of the Bible without opening up the Bible and looking at it for yourself, you need to get into the Word of God. 
If you can't quote a scripture, if you don't know what any of the Word of God says, you need to get into the Word of God and know what it says for yourself. Thank you for those few that believe that. Acts 2.42, in the fellowship of the believers, after the baptism and the Holy Spirit was given, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. They were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, the Word of God that they had at that time. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, do your best. How many says best? best? Best. Do your best. That means there is no better than that. You do your absolute best. And I see Natalie sitting right here, and I've used this story before, and I remember she she knows the story I'm going to tell before I tell it because I preached it before. <clears throat> you know, when you're a preacher's kid, you can end up in all kinds of sermons. When you're the preacher's wife, you don't end up as, as many, but you can end up in a few. Because the kids can't really retaliate. <clears throat> um, not as much as me. Uh, well, they just provide so much material, and you know, <laughs> but when Natalie was probably, uh, do you remember how old you were? I'm probably, I was thinking sixth grade. Sixth grade, she came home, and I don't know if it was in her Thursday folder, maybe I saw this. She had a Thursday folder that they would send the week's worth of work and the, the, the grade, and you would see the papers for yourself and thumb through them and know what, what grades they were. And they come across this test, and it was like horrible, just horrendous. And I'm like, Natalie, what went on here? And I knew she could have done better than that. And she tried. And I said, Natalie, I want you to look me in the eye. And I want you to tell me you did your best. <laughs> and she's looking down. I said, go ahead, look at me in the eye and tell me you did your best. And she says, I can't. Because she knew she didn't do her best. How many know we're supposed to do our best? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. How do you present yourself to God as one approved? A worker who does, who does not need to be ashamed, who correctly handles the word of truth. <clears throat> we correctly handle, that means we take the word of God and we apply it where it needs to be applied and we use it to bring glory to the Lord God and glory to us because of Him so that others can see Him. In Hebrews 5.12, it says, In fact, through though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. He was dealing with immature believers. We need to know the elementary truths of God's Word, the basic foundations. <clears throat> I remember when I played basketball, when I was in school, and if we did something that was just you know, not good on the court, the coach would take us back and we would do the fundamentals all over again. We would do layup after layup after layup. We would practice dribbling. We would even go back more basic than that. We would run ladders in the gym. How many of ever run ladders in the gym? How many know what I'm talking about? It's not easy. If you look at a, bas a, a, a basketball court, there is a, there's a baseline, there's a free throw line, there's a half court line, and then there's the same on the other end. And running ladders meant that you had to run <clears throat> all the way from this wall to that wall and back. And you ran all the way to the far baseline and come back. You ran all the way to the the, to the free throw line and come back. And you'd run all the way to the half court and come back. And you would and do this over, and it would take... 
And it was exhausting. Take a long time. It was exhausting by the time you get done. And you're thinking, what in the world does this have to do with the game of baseball? It has everything to do. When you need to get from one end of the court to the other, you need to know how to do it and how to do it pretty quickly. You know how to be able to pace yourself through a game that's going to last several minutes. And so it was very fundamental. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. If you, don't, if you don't base your life on the elementary truths, the basic foundation of your faith, then you need to review all of what that is again. You need milk, not solid food. You can't go to eat on solid Well, I'm going to believe God for this. Well, how can you believe God for that when there's something wrong in your life down here that's so basic? How can you say, I'm going to believe God to answer this prayer and I'm harboring unforgiveness over here? It won't work, church. It won't work. You've got to deal with the basic things first and make sure your relationship is right with the Lord first before you can move on to bigger things spiritually. But solid food is for the mature. My former pastor Steve Bookout says, I have no problem feeding milk the milk of the word, the basics, the elementary things to people who need them. But when I have to start parting the whiskers to get the bottle in, something is wrong. If we've been walking with the Lord for any length of time, there's no reason for us to still be on the milk of the word of God. There's no reason for us to be foundational. You know, we have the granddaughter journey back there and she's so cute and she's so sweet. But never for a minute would I say, oh, I wish she would stay this way all the time so I could just enjoy her just like this. You might say that and you might, you might just think it just as a joke or in jest. But five years from now, you'd say there's something wrong because she's not developed past this. And in a spiritual context, if we're not careful as people of God, we can run into the same thing. We never grow spiritually. We stay at the same point in our faith. And if we're at the same point in our faith that we were when we first invited Christ into our hearts and in our lives, then something is wrong. But solid food is for the mature. We need to be mature Christians. That's why we get into the Word of God. That's why we come to church. We hear the Word of God. Uh, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And there it is, right there. As mature Christians, when you constantly use the Word of God, then you know what's good and you know what's bad and you know, what to, you know what, how to handle something when it comes up and you know how to disregard something else when it comes up and identify it as good and evil. Well, I just never saw that coming, somebody can say. And I realize there are circumstances that are unexpected that we all have to deal with, but I believe there are some circumstances that really their ugly heads in our lives and in a spiritual context if we're deep in our in the word of God and we're mature believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and we I follow the word of God we're students of the word of God then when evil rears its ugly head we can automatically identify it and say I am I, I know what you are and I'm not going to allow it Jude 20 again says, But you, dear friends, building up yourselves in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of, of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you eternal life. So we've, we've stepped up praying in the Spirit. We cannot expect to pray in the Spirit if we haven't even prayed. You don't get to pray in the Spirit unless you pray first. 
What is praying in the Spirit? I'm glad you asked. Tongues is the initial physical evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You can read about the first occurrence of that, and there are others that you can read about in the New Testament as well, but in Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Praying in tongues is a, is a heavenly prayer language given by the Holy Spirit. It's not something we learn. It's not something we, we recite out of a book. It's not something we listen to somebody else. We obtain it from the Holy Spirit. It's a gift from the Holy Spirit. By which we, as recipients of the Holy Spirit baptism, can and should pray for the will of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which is a great chapter that I want to encourage you to read on how the Holy Spirit and the gifts are to be used in the church. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 14, 14. For if I pray in, in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I, I, I will also sing with my understanding. So Paul is talking about his own personal private experience as he prays in tongues. He said, I pray with my spirit mean, means to pray in tongues with one's own spirit under the impulse of the Holy Spirit. The believer's spirit still prays that the Holy Spirit gives utterance. Paul is speaking about the private use of tongues directed by God. He used tongues not only for praying, but also for singing and giving thanks to God. He said, I'm going to, I'm going to pray in the Spirit, and I'm going to also pray with my understanding. In other words, I'm going to pray in my regular way, in my English-speaking way, and I'm going to pray in the Spirit as well. I'm going to sing also in those ways. That's what Paul was saying. We need to step up in our prayer closet and pray to get into the flow of the Holy Spirit so that you can pray in the Spirit. If you've received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, you need to seek God in that same channel and obtain uh, that heavenly prayer language and get used to praying in the Holy Spirit. It is a gift from God. Neglecting the prayer closet in our prayer closet is a big thing for Christians today. We have to get into the flow. That's how the devil can keep you from praying and getting through into the Holy Spirit. He knows there is power when you pray in the Spirit because the Spirit enables you to pray more effectively. When you pray in the Holy Spirit, He inspires you, He guides you, He energizes you, and He sustains you. He will also help you do battle with the forces of darkness. So we step up to take, our, to take action to obtain salvation. Here's the steps. We step up and contend for our faith. We step up to build up ourselves in our most holy faith. And we step up by praying in the Holy Spirit. And then we have step up and be elevated. The word elevate means to raise from a low or common state or to exalt. To raise from a common for a low from a low or common state or to exalt. 
Babe Ruth stepped up and he was elevated to a position that few had ever experienced. More importantly than human elevation, praise, or acknowledgement is God's perspective. God wants to elevate you or raise you up from a common state. He wants to exalt you for His glory and His purpose. Pastor, what do you mean by a common state? Many Christians are content to not delve into their prayer closets, not become students of the Word of God, not do really much spiritually speaking, or causing their relationship with God to grow beyond their initial, uh, just the surface things. Just, you know, kind of going through life being a mediocre Christian. Meaning that I'm doing just enough to get by and I'm not going to give a lot of time, attention, and energy to my spiritual walk with the Lord. It'll be to their own detriment to do so. They will never realize God's plan for their lives. They will never realize the fullness of the glory of God. And they certainly will never be elevated to the place that God wants them to be. God wants to exalt you for His glory and His purpose. Not for yours. Not lift you up so that you can be on a pedestal above everyone else. But He wants to elevate you so that He can fulfill what He wants. Your, his calling for your life. Matthew 6, 6 says it this way in the King James. It says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. In other words, other people will see the fruit of what happens in your prayer closet when you seek Him with all your heart. And He will raise you up. He will reward you in the sight of everyone. He doesn't reward you so that you can strut around and say, Oh, look what God gave me. He raises you up and rewards you so that you can use that for His glory and His purpose. All of these step-up moments have one thing in common. They require a humbleness and a, re a reduction. Or a reduction in arrogance and self-dependence and, and a complete dependence on God and submissiveness to the divine will of God. That's really back to our step-up definition. I want to repeat that. These step-up moments have one thing in common. They require a humbleness or a reduction in arrogance and pride and self-dependence and a complete dependence and a submissiveness to the divine will of God. 1 Peter 5, verse 4 says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility. Humility is not a word that is very common today, and it's certainly not a trait that is commonly shared in the world today. Humility. <coughs> Humility toward one another because God opposes the proud. I mean, no, oh, God opposes the proud. <coughs> but He shows favor to the humble. That's from Proverbs 3.34. Humble yourselves, therefore, 
under God's mighty hand that he may lift up, or the King James says, exalt you or elevate you in due time. So when you humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, there's a lot of places that we could choose to be, but I tell you today, there is no other place that I'd rather be than underneath the hand of Almighty God. Humble yourself underneath the hand of Almighty God, and that he is going to lift you up, elevate you to the place where he wants you to in the timing that he wants you to. There are some things that I have wanted even in my walk with God I've looked and I thought Lord I really think this would be needed this would happen. I mean I'm thinking God you can get so much glory if this were to happen and that were to happen in, in things in, in the ministry that he's entrusted me in that I would like to see happen and they don't happen and I'm thinking okay I'm praying about it I'm praying about it Lord you know my heart I'm praying about it praying about it and it never happens and then I realize at some point that and I, I knew this I knew it but I guess I'm just stubborn and I have to realize that it's in God's time. It's in God's time. Things happen according to His time and not according to ours. We just have to be humble. So we step up and be elevated for His purpose and His timing. Here's another reminder of how to keep your, pla keep your place Keep yourself in that place of humbleness. 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, Cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Some people have problems with that verse. Cast all your anxiety. How many have seen people, they just walk through life and you know they're struggling and going through stuff and they just see, don't seem to have a care in the world. And it's just like it's just like water off a duck's back and you're thinking, I know you're going through stuff. How can you be so positive? How can you be so happy? Well, you cast all your anxiety on the Lord because it doesn't belong to you. Exactly. It belongs to Him. He already told you that. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Those two verses are connected. If you don't cast your anxiety on the Lord, then you're milling around all that anxiety and strife. And the devil's like, oh, I'm roaring, roaming around looking at, oh, there's one right there. He's already starting to be downcast and discouraged. Ha, there's an opening right there. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go see right there. I'm going to go see him because there's an opening. When you cast all your anxiety on the Lord, then you know that you are not going to be near. How many know that the, the lions go after the weakest prey? Uh, yes. You go after the weakest prey. Verse 9, resist him and stand firm in the faith. There it is, contend for the faith again. Stand firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of suffering. And the grace of God who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be power forever and ever. Amen. Step up and be elevated for his purpose. Why? I'll tell you why, and I'm just about ready to close. 
Church, there are people who are dying. They're hurting, they're sick, they're depressed, they're tormented, they're oppressed by dark spiritual forces that are pushing them to their limits and uh, the limits of their ability to cope. Sadly, there are some of those who are in so much anguish that they're even tempted to take their own lives. Suicide is at an all-time high. While the division and hatred-filled rants of, of the intolerant on social media look for victims to attack, those who are the recipients of those attacks will often retreat into their hurt and bruised emotions in silence and they won't tell anybody. Church, there is a need and there is an opportunity that we must step up to the plate and we have to get ready for God to show up because when we step up, He always shows up. Church, when we step up, He always shows up and He elevates us to that place. He's like, I've got a work for you to do, but I'm looking for somebody who will pick up the bat and will head to the plate and will say, I'm ready for the next thing, God, that you're going to bring my way and I know that I'm going to make a connection because God, you are guiding my steps. If you want the Lord to show up, then you've got to step up. It's time to, to step up. And I tell you what, if you're, if, if you're in your workplace, just an example, and you do something that might not be right, and your boss says, you know, I need you to change some things and we don't need to do this anymore. We need to do it this way. You, can, you have one or two decisions. You can say, I can do what I want to do or I can do what the boss wants me to do. I worked with a lady one time and we had a new procedure that came into place. It's been several years ago. And she read that and she said, I'm not going to do that. That just doesn't make any sense. That wasn't my belief because I thought, well, they have the authority and that's what I'm going to do. If you have a problem with authority in any measure, the Bible says rebellion is as of the sin of witchcraft. There was a rebellious spirit in our land today. And they want nothing to do with being told that this is what I need to do. They want to live the way they want to live. And I suppose there's probably a segment of Christians that say, well, I want to, you know, I don't want to be a radical Christian. I would submit to you that there's really no other kind. <laughs> Either you are or you're not. How can you be silent? When you have been given so much. How can you say I refuse to step up to the plate. When you know that God expects so much more of us. He expects a lot. And there's one scripture that says to whom much is given much is required. And some people say well I don't want to know a lot. Because if I know a lot then I'll be responsible for a lot. Can I tell you that that is a cop out. You need to know more. There are people that get into trouble because of neglect. I'm not even talking spiritual realm. In the, in the natural realm, they can neglect something. 
I have a coworker that was talking about uh, part of a process that we have and making sure that everything is right. And he says, it's kind of like whenever you go up into your attic and you find these electrical wires that are kind of bare and they've charred a little bit of the insulation and you can see little burn marks in the insulation. And then you say, it'll probably be okay. And then you just go back down. It's like, no. no. Because you see it, you're responsible to make it right. Can I tell you, you know, and you're responsible. It means, yes, taking on additional responsibilities. Because the need is so critical. I don't think there's any one of us that, say, that can truthfully say we pray too much. We go to church too much. We read the Bible too much. Just think of the excesses in your life. Whatever they are. And I'm not going to ask for examples or a show of hands or anything like that. But think of things in your life that take up your time. Regardless of what they are. Are the things of God ranking close to the top? Are they? The devil will try everything to prevent you from even picking, picking up the bat. But you must shake off the temptation to remain complacent. Too many lives are at stake, church. We shouldn't be content with just getting by. We have to be more than that. We have to be willing so that we can help others get out of the hell that they are in because they desperately need a Savior. Step up and be elevated. No longer be, to be content in the common state just like so many other Christians, but be elevated for His purpose and His glory. He wants to take you higher than you've ever been before. The task is monumental, but church, as Pastor Bill says, we serve a big God. We serve a big God and He will absolutely use everyone who puts aside pride, self-desires, our wishes, our wants, and we say, I'm going to step up. Step up and be elevated, church. He's waiting for you to make the first step because He's already made really the first one in providing salvation to you. Would you step up and be elevated for His kingdom, for His glory and His purpose? Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your goodness and mercy. Thank You for what You're doing in our midst today. Thank You for the charge and the challenge to step up. To not be in the mold of everyone else who, who just gets by or just is content with being a, a complacent and, 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 and just in, in an in a, in a infant state of Christianity and belief in our faith. God, we ask that you will help each one of us touch through us in a powerful way. Give us the courage to step up. Lord, if whatever problem we're having, if we're having trouble casting all of our anxiety on you, if we're having problem with, with, with focusing on things in our life, let us transfer that over to you so that we can be useful to you and to your kingdom. Because God, we know that you have a plan for us beyond what we think. Lord, we desperately want to know what that plan is. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus. Amen.